everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning. I'm going to bring us back down. No more fun allowed in church today. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here, Uh, but I'm relatively new, so I can say this without shame. I really like it here. I like this church. They're great people. They're really interesting, fun, intelligent people to get to know. And I feel like even in my short time here, I've been able to build really deep friendships. And in part, that's because they let me be me. I feel like I get to be myself. After today, you might wish I was a little less me, given our topic area, but I appreciate that about this place. And that's a great segue into the fact that we're starting, starting a new trimester this week. So it's, a, it's kind of a new start, a fresh start for our life groups. And if you really want to make friends in this church, you've got to do more than just show up on Sunday morning. So we've tried to make it really easy for you to get connected here. So if you'll notice in the pouch and the seat in front of you, for most of you, there are these cards called Help Me Get Connected. And if you sign up, put your name and say which group on what day you'd like to join, we'll make sure that someone reaches out to you and helps you find your place here. One caveat to that, the core training is totally full. So we're meeting this afternoon after church, but we are full up. So if you're in... You know you're in. If you signed up prior to today, you're good to go. So, uh, whoops, before we get started, I've got, uh, got, some pro- got some friends with us today. And I'm just going to set your minds at ease. This is a PG sermon, PG teaching. But uh, my friend Adam and my friend Eve are joining us here today. If you know the story of the Bible, these are the first people that we meet in Genesis 1. And I'm using these guys to make a point for us today. What is the thing that you notice about Adam and Eve? They are naked. Totally naked. We'll keep that in mind for later. So, I don't know. Ken, good job. We are beginning a series, beginning the trimester uh, Sex God, Money God is the name of the title. And we are talking about these two things because probably more than anything else in our world, these are the things that vie for the attention of our hearts. And more than any other two things, I think, when Jesus is pushing on us, trying to get beyond just the external behavior and really get at what's going on in the heart, he brings up sex and he brings up money. And you can learn a lot about a person, who they really are, if you know how they operate in these two areas of their life. And I want to I say a couple of things before we really get going. And the first is that I don't want this series to be something that's guilt-producing or shame-producing. I know that it's some really sensitive, delicate stuff. And some people have been really, really hurt in the area of sex. And that's what we're going to be talking about through February, okay? Sex. In March, we'll talk about money. So I hope that it's neither guilt-producing nor shame-producing, but instead, I hope that it's healing and I hope that it's practical. 
And I want to say this because this is like a really basic assumption about sex as we go through here that I want you to remember. I believe that sex is more than just a physical act. It has an emotional and a spiritual component to it. So sex is not just something we do physically. In fact, more than physical, I think more than physical, it's emotional and it's spiritual. And with that lens, the Bible speaks about sex and it's very opening chapter. So we're going to start at the beginning, a very good place to start, and it's very easy to find if you have your Bibles. It's probably on the first or second page. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start with verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Here's the sexuality already. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, I'm going to ruin this passage for some of you. Do you guys know what it means to be fruitful? in this context? What? Have kids. You guys know where babies come from? God's very first words to humankind are, now go have sex. Right? Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever noticed that before? Okay. Let's make this serious again. It says that God blessed them. And you've heard me say this before, if you uh, have been coming to this church for a while. This blessing is uh, God's impartation of flourishing. This blessing is about goodness. This blessing is about wholeness. This blessing is about uh, perfection, if you want to say, about about health and about harmony. And that's the first uh, of four connections I'm going to talk about today. You can think of them like connections, you can think of them like relationships, but if this is us, you can think about these like umbilical cords. And you guys know what an umbilical cord is, right? It's that thing that connects the mother to its child while it's in the womb. It's the place from which this child gets all of its nourishment. It sustains the life of the child. In fact, the the connection between child and mother is so intimate that the mother shares its blood, its very blood, with the child at times. So the first connection we're talking about today is the life-giving unity we have with our Creator. To get to the second connection, we just have to keep reading in verse 28 there. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. What do we mean by subdue it? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed on it. They will be yours for food. If you own a dog, if you own a cat, if you own a hamster, if you own a potted plant, you are aware of the second relationship, the second connection that we have, the second umbilical cord. If you've ever gazed at the sky on a starry night or caught your breath at the beauty of a sunset or eaten food, you can't get away from the second connection that God 
reveals to us here in Genesis. And that is the connection we have with creation, the connection we have with the earth. We are connecting, connection one, the the life-giving unity we have with our creator, connection two, we are inescapably united with the creation. And I'm not going to say much more about that one because it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the sex part. The next two are related. It's the connection that we have with others and the connection we have with self. For that, we're going to jump across the page to Genesis 2, verse 22. Here it says, the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Okay, that's weird. The Bible's not a science textbook, so don't, anyway, we'll keep going. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, I've been using that word, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked. More importantly than that, it says, they felt no shame. Now, I think this naked here, this buck naked, goes deeper than just the naked of our friends Ken and Barbie today. I think this nakedness is an emotional nakedness. It's about being open and transparent and authentic. It has to do with intimacy and closeness and harmony. No walls, no fronts, no pretending, no secrets. And it says here, no shame. Can you imagine? So, so back in the garden, there's no, there's no giving someone this part of myself and, uh, and hiding this part of myself over here. There's no games where I'm pretending to be someone that I'm not. And, and Adam doesn't have to be defensive about the fact that Eve is smarter. And guys, the ladies in our life, they're smarter. And Eve doesn't need to feel insecure about the fact that Adam has a lower body fat than she does. Than, than she does because that's how, like, there's biologically good reasons for that. Okay? It says they were naked and they felt no shame. They were exposed. They were fully known. And they were okay with it. It was incredible. There's a transparency there. Everything is known. Everything is okay. It's emotional. It's spiritual even. And if you guys know how the story goes, what happens? Adam and Eve rebel against God's love. So there's this perfect world with perfect peace and perfect harmony and perfect relationships. These life-giving things are going great. And then they rebel against God's love. And what does God say will happen if they rebel? You will surely die. But what happens? Do they drop dead there on the spot? No, they don't. 
But what happens? They die spiritually on that day. God sends them out of the garden, out of his presence. They lose that relationship. In chapter, I believe it's three, God says to Adam, your work is going to become painful toil. There are going to be weeds and thorns, essentially creation. Your unity, the harmony you had with creation is going to be wrecked, polluted, messed up. Adam and Eve's first son kills his brother. The relationship that we were meant to have with each other, of being fully known, living in perfect harmony, it's ruined. You know what Adam and Eve do right away, as soon as they've rebelled? They hide because of the shame they feel. All of this gets messed up. And it just, I mean, it causes me to ache. I wish I could fix it. I mean, some of you are living in homes and your parents aren't getting along. So for some of you, that it's worse. You know, there's war and there's politics, or is there war in politics? And there's, people are fighting and old friends are breaking up because of these petty things. And then there's the issue of the self. And I don't know exactly how it works here in Pennsylvania. I come from a small town in the Midwest. But the expectations were incredibly high. You had to get good grades, and you had to be athletic. And then after that, you had to have a great job and a big house, and there was image to keep up. And it was just impossible. And you were either finding yourself, on the one hand, being judged by others, or on the other hand, doing the judging. And both of those things have to do with a broken identity. Whether you're doing the judging or being judged and feeling shame, it has to do with the broken relationship we have with ourself. Now, there's good news in this picture, and that is the whole rest of the Bible, from Genesis, the first book, to Revelation, the second book, is God's plan to knit these things back together to heal these relationships. And it's really, it's all over the New Testament, but Paul says it uh, really explicitly in Ephesians. It's just one example. He talks about how Jesus' blood brings redemption. You know, redemption, healing, reconciliation, wholeness, harmony. And then it says that he will bring unity to all things. So let's just, let's continue to talk real big picture here. To give you the, the big story of the Bible, we just covered creation, the beginning, where things are good and perfect and whole. What happens in the rebellion, what Christians has often called the fall, is everything gets broken and messed up. Jesus comes in what we call the redemption and he begins the process of healing. We wait for, and if you ever want to read some good Bible, Revelation 21 and 22 are probably my two favorite chapters in the Bible. It describes the end of the world, which some theologians call the consummation. 
It's an interesting word because, you know, this is archaic, a little old-fashioned. But when we, uh, you know, after we get married, after the wedding, you go home uh, or you go to the hotel room and what do you do? You consummate the marriage, right? This is a sex series. But consummation, basically, it's, it doesn't mean sex. It means you're completing it. You're, you're now, now it's real. Now it's whole. Now, now it's the real deal, right? So we have in the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, that's where we're here now, and consummation, what we look forward to. And really, this, this is, works not just for the history of the world, it kind of works for our lives too. We're fallen, Jesus gets involved, he starts to put us back together, we look forward to a day when we're made totally whole and totally complete. Now, why do I talk about this so much? You've heard, I often go to, to Genesis and talk about creation. I think this both these things really are very important because they, like so many stories, shape our worldview. You guys ever heard that word before? Worldview? A worldview is basically the lens through which we understand everything else. And stories have the power to shape our worldview. So my worldview, the story that I at least try to let shape my worldview the most, is this story of creation, fall, redemption. And so I understand everything through that lens. Now, what does this have to do with sex, you might be asking yourself? Well, it has everything to do with sex. Because as I said before, sex is not just a physical act. It's also an emotional and a spiritual act, right? It's all this stuff of which sex is the most intimate expression of the unity that we can have with another person, right? But it also... The big picture of the Bible helps us understand where we fit in the story and why when we look at sex, sometimes we see it causing incredible damage and incredible unhealth, and yet we still have hope and a vision that we can find in here of what sex might be like and could be like and will be like, according to the promises that we read in here. So it helps us put all this stuff together. And I'm going to now apply this to one thing in particular. It might make some of you squirm a bit. But that thing is pornography. And if you're talking about pornography, you're also talking about lust. Okay, and I'm not going to get into strategies. And I'm, again, not going to try to do guilt trips. And I'm not going to give you statistics. Those things were never helpful to me. They did not help me in my struggle against lust. They do not help me in my struggle against lust. But I want to talk to the guys here for just a second. Uh, not that girls don't struggle with pornography and don't struggle with lust, but I, I don't feel like I can bridge that gap and talk to you very well because I'm coming from my experience, and my experience is a male experience. But guys, if you are male, I am going to assume that you have or do struggle with lust and or struggle with pornography, have or do. And don't hear me the wrong way. And there's maybe an exception in this room somewhere of someone who never has. But don't hear me the wrong way, because I'm not saying that everyone here is a porn addict or even has been addicted to porn at some point in their life. I'm just saying that the struggle is real. But some of us have lost at times in our life, and some of us are presently losing and the struggle is real because of the culture we live in, in part. Part of it has to do with 
who we are and where we're at, right? Because we're still in the process of being it together. But part of it is, like, we live in this incredibly sexualized culture, probably without precedent in the history of the world, certainly without precedent in the history of the world. If you watch the Super Bowl tonight, you will be exposed to soft porn. If you have ever been on social media, I bet you you have been exposed to soft porn. If you turn on the TV, if you get groceries at Wegmans, you are exposed to soft porn. And if you have an internet connection, within seconds, because it's high speed, you can look at pretty much anything you want, whenever you want, as long as you, you know, step away out, out of public. Now, I'm using porn in a pretty broad way here. But I guess here's what I think porn is. Here's how I would define pornography. It's any time sex is being used to sell. It's any time, not just sex, but lust, where what is going on here is the, the thing out there, the television, the, the product, is trying to arouse us sexually so that we then objectify the woman, right, and then buy either the product or the, or the woman. It can work that way, okay? So you can disagree with me on my, uh, my definition of pornography. I'm, I'm not uncomfortable with that. But Jesus himself pushes pretty hard on this. Okay, he pushes pretty hard on the lust porn thing. And so I'm going to just read from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and just let Jesus talk here a second. Good to do Post it notes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is any time you have sex with someone who's not your spouse. Okay? But I, that's the. That comes from prior in the Bible. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is tough. If you look at a woman, if you look at a woman or a man lustfully, you have cheated on your spouse. Keep going. If your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Gulp. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is a tough passage. Really, really a tough passage. And it has caused a lot of teenage boys a lot of agony and angst. This boy included. Like it has caused teenage boys, men, me, to feel guilt like over spans of every day, over the spans of decades. And I I think in part because this passage has been misused and misunderstood. But I think it's possible, so I think that it's possible, that instead of Jesus placing this impossibly heavy burden onto people, that he's pushing really hard to make this point. And the point is this. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, listen, I gave you sex as this incredibly wonderful, 
indescribable gift. And when you objectify women, when you sell or consume women as products, you're dehumanizing my daughters. There's maybe no better example of hell on earth than when there's pornography and lust and people are dehumanized. It's, the, it's like, for Jesus, this is tearing apart my world. Sex, what I meant to be holy, what I meant to be pure, what I meant to be the ultimate expression of love has been reduced to physical recreation. In our hearts and in our minds and in our world. You see that I think there's grace in that, in understanding it that way. And don't don't hear me wrong, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Like God hates sin so much, and God loves you so much that He sent His one Son to die for you, so that this might get repaired someday, okay? And, and Jesus is not naive to sin and how this works. Guys, have you ever thought about? why Jesus is bringing up in regards to lust, the hand and the eye. Keeping this PG rated. Guys, have you ever thought about when you look at porn, when you look lustfully, then something happens with your hand. Jesus is not naive to how this works. I watched a TED Talk this past week that actually was looking at the science behind some of this stuff. The whole, when when the whole, you know, porn, eye, hand things happen, our brains are getting rewired. The, men, the brain of men across this country is getting rewired, and the results are disastrous for what that does to us, to our brains. And I'll, I'll put that TED Talk up there. But again, let me, let me go back to this. If we're framing what Jesus is saying here about lust and adultery in terms of this, And think about it, I think actually this passage, it's part of the bigger Sermon on the Mount. I think what Jesus is describing here is this consummation. What is the world going to be like? What could the world be like? So if we frame it in terms of this bigger narrative, in terms of this worldview, we see that maybe Jesus is saying, imagine a world without porn. What kind of world would that be? Women, imagine if there was not an objectification in every grocery store checkout line of your body. Imagine if there was no lust in any of our hearts. Would that be a good world? Women, can you nod your heads, either yes or no? I mean, I think... Men, okay, men, imagine if your only sexual desire was for your spouse or your future spouse. Put the, like, tough man away a second. Wouldn't that be awesome? Nod your heads, yes. That would be amazing. Like, to not have to deal with temptation and distraction and all this stuff. This is the world that Jesus is promising us and that we hope for. This is the life that Jesus says is available, that we're in process toward. Now, how do we get there? That's tricky. Most Christians in any form of religion will say this. Try harder. Stop it. 
Okay, you screwed up, feel guilty, don't do it again. You did it again, well, try harder next time. Stop it. I, let me save you some time and some energy. That doesn't work. <laughs> Didn't work for me. I think the only way we get here, the only way this really gets repaired is by the grace of God. It is his gift. And so I'm going to invite Allison up here, and we're going to, my wife, and she's going to do something that's maybe a little weird for a Sunday morning. But uh, when I look at my story, the, the things that helped me overcome the struggle of lust is, is actually times when God reached down and healed something in my heart. There's two distinct moments, and she's going to do an exercise that we call cleansing the imagination. And when I did this exercise in my mid to late 20s, God had to clear some garbage out, okay? And I, in my mid to late 20s, there were images that I had looked at in middle school on my Gateway 2000 computer (laughs) on dial-up internet that were still there that he had to come and cleanse. So I'm going to pass this off to you. Sounds good. So my desire for this time is that we would all experience a little bit of freedom, okay? But I am super convinced that freedom only starts when we have an awareness of where we're shackled. And that is difficult. Um, So I'm going to be leading us through an exercise called Cleansing the Imagination. And this is a contemplative practice that has its roots in ancient Christianity, okay? So what I want you to know is that we believe that God created our imaginations and really every other part of our being as good. But as Amos was talking about, we live in an age where there's so much garbage thrown at us that our imaginations can be used for significant evil in our life. So your imagination, what I want you to know is your imagination works sort of like a movie screen. It's neutral and it's blank, so it's not good or bad in and of itself, it's neutral. And what it does is it projects things that are in our heart. So that's how we know what is our heart focusing on. It projects it into your mind and it brings up these images. And like I said, whether you're intentionally pursuing negative and unholy and unclean images or not, we cannot avoid being exposed to explicit material. Um, So whether that material is something that you witnessed, something that you participated in, a picture on a magazine. For me, it's been TV or movie scenes that are particularly violent, or even um, images of women's bodies that I'm comparing my own to. So these are some things, you know, the guys in the room got a heavy message to them, but I think women, we're, we're just as much in this with the men. So So whatever it is for you, I just invite you to take a risk in this time. Um, If this is new to you, just know that we are asking God and the Holy Spirit to come and and do this and cleanse us. This is not a new age practice. This is not um, something mystical. This is our God that's coming and meeting us in our bodies. Okay?
So I want you to first just kind of settle into a comfortable posture. And um, you can have your hands in your lap. You can put them out and open to God. But whatever posture to you tells you that you are open and close your eyes. And I'm going to have Sarah play some music for us during this time. We'll end with a period of silence and a bell. And so I don't want you to worry about being distracted by keeping time. I'll close this down, okay? So we're going to invite God to come. This is the God of the Bible, the Christian God. So come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to come into our imaginations and cleanse us of all unholy images that are stored there. As pictures come to your mind, I want you to picture yourself taking each image up and out of your mind and handing it to Jesus one by one. As you continue to give Jesus these images, watch what he does with each unholy and unclean image. Ask him for eyes to see what he's doing.
Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.